The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word. As we do that, there's a few things I want to prepare you for. If you are taking notes, you can write a few things down. Uh, Forgive me again. I told you I had that issue. It it does affect me greatly, so it kind of throws my rhythm off a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry for that, and I'll try to keep my composure here. Uh, There's a few things that we're going to find in the word as we get into it. If you're taking notes, these are things just to look forward to. Uh, One of the things that we're going to find, we'll find it out right away, and that's what glorifies God. Now, I know in my life as a, a Christian, even as a, a young believer, I really wanted to do something great for God. I mean, that was really what I desired. I, I wanted to, to uh, aspire to do something that was abnormally exceptional and, and something that would really please God. I, I was so grateful for everything that he did in my life, the things that he set me free from, and the idea that he loves me and that he provides a purpose and uh, a, a mercy and grace for my life there was a desire to do something in in reciprocation to that love and that affection. We're going to find out in the scripture what glorifies God. Another thing that we're going to find is God's will for your life. Now, you'll find several things in the scripture that identify God's will for your life, but this is one of those things that just actually says this is God's will for your life, and I think it's worth noting. Uh, A third thing that you're going to find is something that we need to know. Now, need is a really powerful word. Uh, It's not something that we should know or ought to know, but we really need to. And I can tell you when we get there, we'll have to read between the lines a little bit, but I'm confident it'll make sense. So I'm going to take a deep breath, and then we're going to get started here. So I told you we're going to find what glorifies God. If you have your Bibles, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I want to look at verse 8. Now, used to, back in the day, you would say, you know, turn in your Bibles to, and you'd hear pages turning and things like that. Now you don't hear that, you know, I mean, everyone's got their app on their phone or whatever. So uh, we're going to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 8. It's Jesus speaking, and when he speaks, he reveals something really powerful that's worth making a note of. I mean, obviously, anytime Jesus speaks, it's worth making a note of it, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about when we read this. Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking to you, he's speaking to me. And he talks about God the Father. He says, my Father is glorified by this. Now, you can just stop there and realize what he's about to say is revealing what glorifies God. God the Father, your heavenly Father, is glorified by this. And he goes on to finish the statement that you, I mean, that's you. He's talking to you. That you produce much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the passage of scripture that we're going to build this whole message on. I mean, it's a really interesting thing that God would be glorified by something that I could do. I mean, here's the maker of the heavens and the earth. I mean, this is the one that, that was and is and is to come, and yet he's glorified. He, he is magnified by something that I can do. That's pretty amazing. And when you consider that, it's not something that should, you know, puff up or produce any kind of arrogance it's something that, realize, that, that brings to our realization the things that God values. God wants to see your life productive. 
He's chosen to identify himself as our heavenly father and receive us as his sons and daughters. And I can think of nothing greater in my own life that would, would make me proud or, or, or cause me to have any sense of satisfaction than to see my son succeed. I remember when they were born, I thought, I don't live for myself anymore. I live for them. I, I want to see them now go further than I ever went. And when I consider that and, and apply it with my you know, finite view of life and my limits on, on love and affection and my, my, you know, inclination to selfishness and other dark things. And I think about God and all of his perfection and his holiness and his unconditional love and his holiness. How much more would he feel to see his son, that's me, by the way, succeed? So no wonder now this passage of scripture can be revealed with such confidence where Jesus could stand and say something so bold as to say, this glorifies God that you be successful. And it proves that you're my disciples. I mean, it proves that you listen to me, that you do the things I say, that you follow in my footsteps and you follow after my example. It's a really powerful statement. And when you start breaking it down and looking at it, you're thinking, wow, so there's so much in this little sentence, this one little passage of scripture is, is like the key to success in life, to understand that God is glorified by my life doing the things that brings him honor, that brings him glory, that brings about success. And it also proves that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a word here that I get hung up on, and it's really a, a non-issue for most people. They would read right past it. But when I consider words in the scripture, I look at them and I'll ask myself this question. And I'm a bit of a weirdo. And many of you know that. And not just today when I'm sitting up here squinting through my allergy eyes, struggling to breathe and sweating, right? It's a little warm in here. I mean, I'm sure I look a little weird now, but on, on a, even on my best day, I'm a, li I'm a little odd. And I'll read this passage of scripture and I'll ask myself questions like this. Why is that word there? That word didn't have to be there. Why is it there? If that word didn't have to be there, and yet God chose to put it there, I want to know why he chose that word. And there's this one little word in this passage of scripture that causes me to pause and ask that question, and it's the word much. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. It's not just enough that I be successful, but he wants me to be very successful. He wants it to be uh, uh, much, according to that word, uh, that I produce much fruit. That word much there, when you go to a concordance, which is just a dictionary for Bible words, it, it's many, much, or a large amount. Another definition is abundant. I like the word abundant. Abundant doesn't just mean that something is, you know, full, but it's overflowing. If something is abundant, then there's more than enough. It's not just enough to get by, but there's going to be excess, there's going to be leftover. And so what God has called me to, what he receives glory by, is my life being so successful that it's spilling out onto other people around me. Where I myself, is not, I'm, I'm, I myself am not just a success, but I'm making those around me successful too. Because of the things that God has released in and through my life. I want to give a, a passage of scripture here. It's going to be lengthy, and I'm not one for reading publicly, but yet I'm going to have to on this one. I may paraphrase a little bit, but I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at chapter 6. If you ever want to know if you need to be hooked on phonics, read in front of people. 
It's not as easy as it looks. Mark chapter 6. I want to begin in verse 33. I'll give you a little bit of a setup here. Now, this is going to be a lot of paraphrasing because Mark chapter 6 has got a lot of information in it. There's some pieces of history that are in there that are real. They really happened. But Mark chapter, chapter 6 has a bit of an interruption in it. So it has a beginning, an interruption in the middle, and then an end that's attached to that beginning. So the beginning is Jesus sends people out to do great things in his name. He sends people out to minister. He gives them instruction and he sends them out. The same way that he's given you instruction and sent you out. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. He has released you with a commission to go into the world and make disciples. It's a pretty wonderful thing. You've been washed and cleansed and purified. You've been anointed and appointed and called and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and do great things. So all of this takes place and he sends them out. And the word says that they go out and they preach. And as they preach and they speak, they minister to people. It says that many demons are cast out, many people are healed. They anoint people with oil and they're recovering from their sickness and their disease. It's a really wonderful thing. And then it comes back to Jesus. All of these men that were sent out and all of these people that were sent out to minister come back and they begin to give their report. And the report is all good news. Hey, we went and we preached the message you told us to and we prayed for people just like we've seen you do and we got the same results that we saw you get. You know, and, and I'm a little nutty. I like to kind of put myself there and, and I read between the lines a lot and I like to think like, what were those stories like? You know they didn't just come back and give that report that you read, but you know they came back and they probably were eating and they were like, man, there was this one guy. And I thought, my God, dude, you are a piece of work, you know. And then we prayed for him and, and, and this demon came out. And I mean, and you know they're giving detailed stories and they're having fun telling these stories, uh, just glorifying God with all the wonderful things they've seen. These are real people that enjoyed fellowship with one another. They had friendship and camaraderie. And when they came back together and were sharing these stories and swapping these stories, I'll bet it was a really great time. And as they're doing this, Jesus says something. He says, man, guys, you're wiped out. It, it's been a busy season. He says, let's go somewhere private. Let's just all get away for a little bit. They've all been working really hard. They went through a really high-stress time. You can read it there in, in John, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 6. And then it comes to the point where Jesus says, let's just get away and let's take a break. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me right now, right? If Jesus came to me and said, hey, listen, you've been working pretty hard, and, and you know, I have been, and I'm sure you have been too, uh, you need a break. So let's go somewhere where you can just kind of rest. I'd be all on board. And so the disciples are on board, and they decide, yeah, let's get away. They, the word says they get into a boat, and they go to this private place. But it says everyone is so excited by the things they've witnessed, the messages they've heard, the ministry they've seen, the miracles they've seen, that everyone is so excited that they see them going away to this private place, and it says, and they ran on foot and chased them chased them. These guys are in a boat going across water. People are running around the body of water trying to catch up and get to the other side before they get there. And the word says that people do in masses and droves. They get to this private place, and I'm putting that in air quotes there because there's nothing private about it. When they arrive, there's, there's a crowd. And then that's where we're at here when we get to, you know, 
uh, Mark 6, beginning in verse 33. It reads like this. It says, people saw them going, and many recognized them. I mean, I pause that and just think, does anybody recognize me? When I drive through Abilene, is anyone like, hey, that's Pastor Preston, man. That guy has cast devils out. That guy has got a real uh, anointing on his life to see the kingdom of God wherever he goes. I want to live like that. I want that to be my life. People saw them going, many recognized them, and they ran. They all gathered together and ran on foot from all of the surrounding cities, and they got there ahead of them. And then when Jesus went ashore, he saw the large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like, a, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. And it was already quite late, and the disciples came to him and said, uh, you know, hey, Jesus, should we send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside? This place is desolate. They need to go somewhere and get something to eat. I mean, like, in today's words, basically, they'd be like, there's no restaurants around here. There's no place to eat here. We've got to send these people going. You know, when, you, when Jesus picks a private place, it's pretty private, right? Not even an IHOP. I mean, there's nothing. And so they say, should we send them away? And then Jesus gives this answer, and this answer is really funny to me. It says, but Jesus answered them. And he said, you give them something to eat. And they said to Jesus, and now I can relate to this. When it says they said to Jesus, I could put my name in here. Had I been there, it would be like, and then Preston said to Jesus. Because this is how I think, and it's not really a boast. In fact, it's, it's a negative in this situation, but it is my tendency. And then they said to him, should we go and spend, you know, 200 uh, denarii, now that's a day's wage, on bread to give them something to eat? Basically what they're saying, should we take eight months' wages and just go spend it so we can feed these people? Is that how we should do this? And Jesus asks a question. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And it says, when they found out, they said, we have five loaves of bread and we have two fish. And the word says, Jesus then commanded them to go sit down on the green grass. And they all went and sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And Jesus took those five loaves and those two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke them. And he kept giving them to the disciples to go and give to the people. They divided up the fish among all of them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And in the end, they picked up 12 full baskets of broken pieces and also of the fish, so that there were 5,000 men who ate of the bread. I mean, it's kind of a, a weird thing to read, but let me just break this down for you real quick. Here's a situation where there's a need. That need is, is got a supply. The supply is seemingly unfit, but yet when it's blessed and it's distributed, not only is it fit, but there's an abundance. There's more left over. To me, this glorifies God. This is what we just read, that we would produce, that we would bear much fruit, that it would be abundant, that there would be more left over than we even had to start with. I look at this and I think, what a wonderful piece of history. But why? Why this story? Is this Jesus just showing off? Is this a little heavenly flexing just to prove that God is real and we should pay attention to what he has to say? Or rather, is there instruction here that we're meant to glean for our lives? Is there something here that I can apply to my day-to-day -day living to get wonderful, abundant results? And I lean in that direction. 
I don't think that God is a show-off. I don't think there's an insecure bone in Jesus' body where he's like, hey, guys, watch this. I'm starting to think you're doubting me, so let me just show you something. But rather, there's instruction here that we're meant to look at and receive and then apply to our lives to get similar results, abundant results. And I want to look at that. First of all, i got to put myself in the position of, is there any part of my life where there's a need? Well, the answer to that is yes. So if I were to ask you, is there any place in your life where there's a need? I think your answer would be yes too, right? We all have things that we need. Then Jesus simply asked this question, what do we have? That's a really great question. What do I have right now to meet this need? Now, most of the time, we start immediately judging and deciding whether or not what we have can meet the need. He doesn't ask that. He just asks, what do we have? We've got a lot of people here that need to eat. What do we got? And so upon doing this inventory then, they have an understanding of what they have. And what we see here, it's a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, right? Now here's what I love, and this is where we start to, to apply these things to our life. The first thing that you have is you have gratitude, right? Because when he does this inventory, what do we have? We have a need, what do we have to meet this need? When what's brought to him is a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, he doesn't look around and say, that's it? you got to be kidding me. But rather he sees what they have and is aware that this is something we can work with. I want to live like that. I want to see possibilities. I don't want to see problems and, and difficulty and deficit and inferiority. I don't want to see negative. I want to see positive. I want to be able to look at the scenario and the situation, look at what I have to deal with it, and say, what can I do with that? It's not just a, you know, a, a, a seminar on positive thinking, but I do think that there is a part of us that needs to think positive. Where we need to understand and know that we serve a miracle-working God. What has he given me to deal with this problem? And then the question is, what do I do with what he's given me? So it starts off, we've got to be grateful, right? And, and there's a lot of wonderful things about gratitude. That's really the beginning of something great. Gratitude is at the, the, the very front of anything good that you'll see in the Scripture. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture as it concerns gratitude, and I, I think it's important. One, remember I told you earlier we're going to find out what God's will for your life is? Well, many of us would hear that, and we would think something really deep, right? Something really profound. Here's a passage of Scripture for you to answer that question. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks... For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, I've been outside of God's will a lot. <laughs> I spend a big portion of my life being ungrateful. And it's, it's humiliating to think about it. I've repented often for that. God, I repent of my lack of gratitude. Help me to be grateful for what I have. And I can tell when I'm being ungrateful because of my language. I begin to complain I begin to blame, I begin to talk about every reason why something won't work or can't work or shouldn't work, it just gets really negative. And it's kind of a, a tendency, in fact, it's very natural for me to be ungrateful. It's a very supernatural thing for me to walk in gratitude. And by the Spirit of God and the, you know, the empowerment of the Holy Ghost and the presence of Jesus as my King in my life, He can lead me into gratitude. 
by showing me things in the scripture like this. Hey, listen, man, I fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. That's like a number eight at Long John Silver's. And we fed that whole crowd. So don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have. And you get that kind of leadership inspiring you in your life, and all of a sudden it begins to change things, and you start thinking, yeah, I'm grateful for the number eight at Long John's. Now you want Long John's, don't you? Me too. Pretty good stuff. But gratitude is important. It's necessary. In fact, based on the scripture we just read in Thessalonians, it's God's will for my life. Which means, like, I'm not going to do anything inside of God's will until I can first be grateful. It doesn't matter how courageous it is, how heroic it is. It doesn't matter what I do or how it looks to the church community. It can just look amazing to the world, but it's all religious fluff if I'm doing it with an ungrateful heart. I will be outside of God's will until I can be grateful. Everything in God's will starts with gratitude. Here's a passage of scripture to confirm that. I love this passage of scripture. Psalm 100, verse 4. 100, verse 4. We used to sing a song, and a lot of the songs, you know, are based on scripture that we sing today. And let me tell you something. Pastor Jared's very gifted to lead us in worship, and he's very mindful to lead us in very biblical worship. I remember as a kid, a lot of the songs were what we would call scripture songs. So they were literally just taken from the scripture and set to music, and that was really it. This is one of them. I remember singing this song as a kid. But here's the passage if you were to read it. I won't sing it to you. Psalm 100, verse 4. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I will enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. I look at this passage of scripture and, and I think it's poetic, right? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It sounds like somebody was, was, you know, sitting down and wanting to write something pleasant and, and godly. But the reality is there's some real powerful instruction here. And I like to say it like this. When you consider I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving, it means until I can be thankful, I'm not even getting through the gate. When I want access to God, when I want access to the things of heaven, when I want access to the, the kingdom of God and all the wonder and splendor and power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of Jesus Christ, until I can be grateful, I'm outside the gate. I will enter the gates with thanksgiving. I'll enter the courts with praise. I mean, it starts with gratitude. And for me, when I look at the call on my life to do great things and, and to live in a life of abundance and to be fruitful and productive... I know it's going to begin with me being grateful for what I have. If we can't be grateful for what we have, we'll be outside of God's will every time. And here's another passage to look at as we look at gratitude and the importance of it. Philippians 4, I want to look at verses 6 and 7. The call is to be free from all anxiety, right? Well, that would be nice. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Man, what a powerful passage of scripture. But let me tell you something. If you take thanksgiving out of that, it's just noise. I've been in a lot of prayer meetings. I've prayed about a lot of stuff, and I did not feel my heart and mind guarded by Jesus Christ. I have gone through the disciplines of prayer where I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for an hour about that and then I walk out just as anxious as I walked in. That's me being honest with you. But then you introduce gratitude 
and you let thanksgiving enter in. And all of a sudden, when thanksgiving and gratitude enter in, the things that are so seemingly destructive and, and are producing this anxiety get real small real quick when you begin to realize how good you've got it, how awesome God is, the wonders of his love and his affection toward us, the things that he's delivered us out of in the past and the things he's promised to deliver us out of in the present and in the future, all of a sudden gratitude begins to win. And you know what? You start to find that your heart and your mind are guarded by Jesus. If someone were to ask me, hey, Pastor Preston, that passage in Philippians, what do you think the most important element of that is? Is it the prayer? Is it the supplication? No, it's the gratitude. Thanksgiving. If you take that out of that passage of Scripture, it's not going to work. We've got to get grateful. That's how it starts. That's how this abundant life begins. It starts with thanksgiving. Take that into your life, into your prayer. Father, make me a grateful person. I want gratitude to be at the foundation of who I am so that I can live that abundant life that you've called me to, that life that produces abundant fruit and brings you honor and glory. And then you see Jesus do something else here. When he feeds this crowd with this, you know, this seemingly small uh, amount of food, a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, first of all, he's, he's not ungrateful. He doesn't look around and be like, that's it. But he says, great, that's what we've got to work with. Then it says he takes it and he lifts it up to heaven and he blesses it. Now, this is something that I think is, is a whole other message in and of itself, but we're going to touch on it for the sake of where we're going today. The idea of blessing. Blessing will always uh, precede something increasing. It's a good thing to walk in blessing. like it's, it's godly. In fact, when God created man and woman, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply, right? How many men and women are there on the earth today? We like, what, we're in the billions, right? Something like that. Eight billion? Something? Okay, well, started with two. <laughs> so I think it worked, right? Yeah. So you take a look at that and you begin to consider blessing and what it does to, to open up the door for increase. And then we've got scripture that, that's really interesting that I think is worth applying. Now, I'm going to give these to you quickly. We're not going to dwell on them today for the sake of time, but I think they're good for your notes. And it's because I believe wholeheartedly when you see the scripture, blessing is a choice. I can decide any moment of my life to walk within God's blessing or to step outside of God's blessing. Now, if that's not something you believe in or you want to debate that, that's fine. You're entitled to your view and opinion. I want to give you a passage of scripture here, and you're welcome to take it for what it's worth. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 11. It's verses 26 through 28. It's God speaking, and he says, See, I'm setting before you today blessing and curse. Blessing if you do what's right, and then cursing if you step outside of that. This doesn't mean that God changes how he feels about us. He's just simply saying when we do the things that produce good results, we'll get good results. When you do the things that produce bad results, you'll get bad results. It's basically cause and effect. And then what we have is a loving Heavenly Father who's constantly leading us away from those destructive things, calling us away from the things that produce that negative effect. That's when we begin to see the wonders of God's grace and His mercy active in our life. 
It's why we can read passages of Scripture with such confidence, like Psalm 128, verse 1, where we talk about the blessing that comes upon the life of those who will revere God and, and do the things that are pleasing to him. It produces a great effect. And then you have a passage like this from the Proverbs, Proverbs 26, verse 2, like a sparrow in its flying, or it's, it's flying, excuse me. So a curse without a cause won't stand. That's a poetic way to say it, but the point is, is that unless a door is open for this, this garbage to enter into somebody's life, it can't just come in freely. God paid the highest price for you to keep you from being touched by corruption and garbage and nastiness. So when we begin to see things that we don't like in our life, we examine our lives and look, Father, is there a door open where this is coming in so that it can be closed all by your goodness and your mercy and your grace? I look at a situation like what Jesus did here, and he took what was handed to him, and he didn't say it's not enough, but rather he said it's sufficient. Then he lifted it up and he blessed it. There's a lot of things that you can do to bless what you have in your hands. The scripture gives instruction with things that I think are really important for us to make a note of, and when we begin to apply those things in the scripture to our lives, we begin to get the results that God promises. And in this case, that blessing would include things like we opened with, with gratitude. It would include things like lifting it up to heaven. Now, that's a little poetic to me, but basically, who takes their lunch and lifts it up to heaven? But I think what he's saying is, hey, you can have it. I'll give it all to you first. And when it's all offered up to God first, all of a sudden it becomes enough for everyone that's in need. What a great way to live our lives. Father, all of my life I'll give to you. I'll just give it all to you and trust that you can do more with it than I can. Blessing. So gratitude, then blessing. And then you see this in the end. As Jesus you know, lifts it up to heaven, it's blessed, now all of a sudden something has to happen. I mean, what happens if it just ends right there? Well, you've got... A grateful Jesus lifting up some bread and some fish, but then nobody's getting fed. Everyone's still hungry. Something had to happen. They had to go give it out. There had to be giving. There had to be distribution of this. If there was no distribution, nobody would have eaten. If there's no giving, nobody receives, right? Part of my life, my call to be abundant and produce is going to be being grateful. It's going to be walking in blessing, and then it's going to require me to give, to give of myself, I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture as it concerns uh, giving, and I'm talking about ministry and life here. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus is speaking. He says, truly, truly, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Well, it's kind of a poetic way to say this, but the reality is when a plant goes to seed, it's at the end of its life cycle. But for that life cycle to come to an end where something stops living for itself and starts living for something else, all of a sudden, wonderful things can happen and it becomes very productive. That's something that you can pray and ask God for. I don't want to live for myself. I want to live for your kingdom. I want to live for those that are hurt and wounded and in need. I want something great to happen out of my life. I don't want to just die with a whole bunch of toys stuffed in the closet but I want there to be something to show for my existence. And then you'll see something like this. I mean, you ever, you know, watched a, a sporting event and you got that one person with their little poster board, John 316, standing over there, right? 
You take a passage of scripture like that and you begin to read it and you begin to think, wow, this thing is really revealing. It's a passage of scripture that, that we, we quote a lot, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. I mean, what an evangelistic passage of scripture, right? But notice that first sentence. For God so loved the world, he loves you so much that he did what? He gave. There's giving. He gave Jesus. There's no life. Like, I don't prosper at all until something was given. Something had to be given. So for my life to produce anything, for anyone else, I'm going to have to give. At some point, I cannot be selfish and be abundant in fruit. I've got to be a giver. Romans 8.32 it says, God didn't spare his own son, but delivered him over for us. How would he not also now freely give to us all things? The idea that God would give Jesus is God showing us there's nothing I won't give for you. What a great way to live my life. To know that one will give me all that I need. And now there's a call on my life. And these are the words of Jesus, by the way. He says it in Matthew uh, 10, verse 8, but he says it throughout the Scripture, and he implies it throughout the Scripture often. Freely as it was given to you, now go and freely give. Our lives are meant to be selfless. They're meant to be filled with giving. I mentioned to you there's something we need to know. I'm going to close with this. You know, when we go through our things that we're looking for in the Scripture, the third one was something that we need to be aware of, something that we need to know. If you're taking it for your notes, it's Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I want to read the passage of Scripture, and then I want to emphasize what we need to be aware of. The passage reads like this, Give, and it will be given to you. You know, poured into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. But then this is the point. Like, this is where I really want to emphasize why this passage of Scripture is in the message. For by your standard of measure it will be measured back to you in return. As it concerns me and my life and how I give myself to those around me, how I'll give love and affection, how I'll give kindness, how I'll give mercy, how I'll give grace, how I'll give my time, my attention, how I'll give of any resource that I steward, as it concerns those things, I have to ask myself, what is my measure? I want to know what my measure is. When I find myself in a place of, of need and I'm, I'm monitoring what's coming into my life, whether it's, you know, attention, affection, whether it is uh, anything that is material or whether it's something that's emotional or whether it's something that is uh, any kind of need that needs to be met for a human being to feel uh, fulfilled in any way, you can't just look at the absence of something and say, you know, my needs aren't being met. I have to look at that and think, well, if the measure I measure with is measured back to me, I need to change my measure. I want to examine myself. Not just point the finger at everyone around me and blame everyone. So I take a passage of scripture like this and offer it to you for this purpose, that you go and that you ask, God, will you show me what my measure is? And let my measure be adjusted accordingly. I want to measure with the measure of Jesus Christ. I want to give, and I want to give those things that are blessed, and I want to be grateful for every moment of it. I want to look upon my life and see that everything I need, you've provided for me. 
it's sufficient. I want to live and offer it up in such a way that it's blessed, and then I want to go and I want to give it. I want to give it all so that it can be magnified and multiplied, bringing you honor and glory so that I can truly prove to be one of your disciples that you can be glorified because my life produces an abundance. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I used to read stories, and when I say stories, I mean history in the scripture, like the, the mass feedings. That's real. That's documented. I love that the Bible doesn't open with once upon a time. I mean, Jesus Christ is the most documented human being to ever walk the face of the earth. I remember when I became a Christian and I read the scripture and I began to investigate history and things, I just thought, how could you not believe this? It's undeniable. And these signs and wonders, you know, when you are looking at them, you begin to think from the perspective of, you know, this was done in order to prove that Jesus, you know, is the Son of God. And, and I, I don't think that's an unhealthy perspective, but now that I'm older and a little more mature, I don't think that's an accurate perspective. I don't think Jesus was just showing off. I think he was giving us an example so that when I face the most difficult things in my life, I can look to that and I can read between the lines and I can hear, son, what you're facing right now seems impossible. But I've shown you by my own example that what you have around you will be enough if you can be grateful for what you have. And if you can see to it that what you have is blessed and if you'll be willing to give it all away. I promise you in the end, you'll have more than you started with. What a great lesson. It's more than just a story. It's instruction. So I want to pray for us because I know we all have needs in our lives. I know for some of us, we're facing things that are extremely difficult. We might look at it and think it's seemingly impossible. How can we do this with what we have right in front of us? The deception is to think, I need more, I need more, I need more. The truth is to say, God has provided me everything I need. Now, what am I doing with it? To start with, God, make me grateful so that I'm not led by insufficiency. I want to be led by abundance. Let my heart be grateful. Show me where blessing lies. And then give me the strength and the courage to give. I like to think that when Jesus took that bread and started breaking it and handing it out, you know, that you would be standing there watching him. And you know, there would be part of me, not him, but part of me that would think, hey, break them smaller. We've got to make this last. There's a lot of people here. You tear those pieces a little smaller there, Christ, because, I mean, there's a lot of guys here. And they're, you know, we've got to make sure this goes around, right? But there'd have to be the courage to just start tearing it. Give that to him. Give that to him. Give that to him. Give that to him. Well, you're not thinking about, man, I hope this makes it, but you're just giving. What a courageous way to live. I want to pray, and that's the prayer, really, that we would come to that place where the things that we would face wouldn't be defined by how they seem. We wouldn't look at it and say, well, that's seemingly impossible, so I'm out. 
We would look at it and we would say, that is what my life's call is to do. I'm, I'm here to accomplish that. And I'm going to look at what you provided me to work with. I'm going to be grateful for it. And I'm going to see to it that it's blessed and I'm going to go give it all. And I'm going to trust that in the end there's more to show forth than what we started with. I want to pray for that. So there where you're at, you're happy, I'm happy for you to be in agreement or uh, just a state of receiving the, the prayer of the blessing. I'm going to trust and believe that there's no more powerful minister in the room than the Holy Spirit himself doing a work in our hearts and in our minds. I want to pray for you. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of our king. We give you thanks. And we ask for our hearts to be surrendered to gratitude, that we would be grateful. Let there be an awareness of the wonders and the power of gratitude, that we would become intentional in our thanksgiving, that we would choose to be grateful. And let any uh, lack of gratitude, any negativity or, or uh, any kind of a hindrance to a grateful life be uncovered, that we might cast it down and that we would take on a, a new way of thinking, a new way of living that we would live as grateful people. And show us blessing, that we would make the choices and the decisions necessary to see blessing magnified. And give us the strength and the courage to make those choices and decisions. And lead us and teach us to be givers. Let your own example of giving be set before our eyes in a new way. Not to be seen as through the eyes of simply receiving from you, but to be seen as the example that you've set for us to go and give in the same measure. And let that measure be revealed to us, that we would be mindful at all times of those things that you've blessed us with and that you've called us to go and give. And let the result be a life that brings you honor and glory, that we truly would glorify you by producing so much fruit let it be abundant. Let it be more than a sufficient, but spilling out over onto those around us. That not only would our own lives be blessed and rich with the things of your kingdom, but that everyone that we would be surrounded by would see the effects of it, receive the effects of it, and be drawn to you because of it. We bless your name and we thank you for this call to abundant fruitfulness. We receive your instruction and your calling. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.